Motorist Insurance Group and Brick Street Insurance have come together to create a better one-stop shop for agents and policyholders, encircling you with coverage at every step in life's journey. We are now in Cova Insurance. Want extra cash for vacation or to buy something you've always wanted? Transfer your auto loan to Pathways Financial Credit Union and we'll give you 1% cash back up to $1,000. And you can enjoy no payments for three months. Visit a convenient Central Ohio location and let us take care of your auto loan and provide extra cash. Check us out at PathwaysCU.com. Offer of credit subject to credit approval. Loan interest will continue to accrue during the first three months of no payments. Pathways is federally insured by the NCUA. Easter is coming up, and I just can't wait to have the whole family in one place. And of course, what's Easter without an awesome Easter brunch? Now, I don't know about your family, but mine is a little picky, and I really wanted to impress them with something delicious. A friend told me I should check out Total Wine and More. It was crazy. They must have every wine and beer imaginable. I told one of their friendly experts my situation, and they found me just the thing. This sparkling wine is going to be absolutely perfect for brunch, even with my picky family. I know next time I need something, I'm shopping at Total Wine and more. Welcome everyone to episode 5 of the NBA podcast presented by B-Ball Breakdown. I'm Brian Zaporik and I am joined today by Morton Jensen. How are you Morton? I am doing well Brian. How about you? I'm doing well. Uh, our third co-host Sarah Chalea is unable to join us today. As our resident Spurs expert she is still at the AT&T Center trying to figure out what the hell happened in game 2 of Spurs Thunder which we will talk about later. But we touched on the Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back to school styles for kids and baby. Get flip flops for two bucks, graphic tees for four bucks, shorts for six dollars, and jeans for eight dollars. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid size prices. Just two, four, six, and eight dollars. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and Old Navy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Styles excludes in-store clearance. The Western Conference playoffs in our last episode, so this time we're going to go look at the East. We're going to talk about Atlanta-Cleveland. The first game was Monday night. We will touch on the Toronto-Miami series, which is starting Tuesday, and we will give a brief breakdown on what's next for the four teams that left us in the first round. So let's start with Atlanta-Cleveland, since that first game happened Monday night. We're recording on a Tuesday. Cleveland, at first, they were really steamrolling. They opened a 30-19 to lead at the end of the first quarter, but the Hawks battled back, took a late lead in the fourth before Cleveland emerged with a 104-93 victory. So, Morton, heading into the series, what did you think were the big keys? Well, size, obviously. You have Al Horford and Paul Mills that can just wreak havoc inside. Kevin Love is not a plus defender. Tristan Thompson could possibly do a little bit of damage defensively, but, you know, it's still against two all-stars who can pass, who can shoot, who can drive, who really are all-around players. So that was the big concern from Atlanta's perspective going into this series. But then again, you could you could also make the argument that LeBron is able of playing, you know, big position, so you can put him in as a defensive force at the big spots. Overall, I, I was, you know, picking Cleveland, but I, I, I think I still do think that Atlanta can cause them some issues initially. Uh, last night wasn't a cakewalk for Cleveland by any means, at least not down the line. Yeah, um, totally agree with that. I, I 
I personally picked this series in five games because I think Atlanta is going to have one of those nights where Kent Bazemore hits six threes and Kyle Korver heats up. But, you know, they did play in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. It was a four-game sweep despite Kevin Love not playing at all. And Kyrie Irving was limited in that series. He only played in two of the four games. Uh, I actually wrote a preview at bballbreakdown.com of this series where I talked about some of the big keys as well as some X-Factors. I'm glad you mentioned Millsap and Horford because they were actually pretty horrible last time around in the Eastern Conference Finals. They only averaged about 25 points, 12.5 rebounds, 5 assists, a steal and a block per game combined, which was far below their regular season averages. Millsap, in particular, only shot about 35% overall in that series and was one of nine from three-point range. You know, he really struggled against uh, Tristan Thompson and Timofey Mozgov, who is now more or less out of Cleveland's rotation. So my big thing watching Game 1 was to see how that front court battle shook out because, you know, obviously Love is a much better offensive player than Mozgov, but he has... <laughs> Certainly has some issues on the defensive end. Um, and it seemed like he actually, you know, I was surprised at how well he held his own. The other thing that I thought was really key was how the Hawks obviously defended LeBron James. You know, last year they had Damari Carroll in the lineup. He was a little bit banged up. He had a knee sprain after game one. Uh, they did not have Dabo Cephalosha last time around, thanks to the New York City Police Department. And James just absolutely ripped them apart. He averaged about 30 points, 11 rebounds, 9 assists, and 38 minutes a night. Just totally torched them. And, you know, James had to take on a larger role because Love was out and Irving was limited. So I didn't expect him to necessarily go off like that again. But he still finished Game 1 with 25 points, 9 assists, 7 rebounds, 5 steals. So, you know, I think moving forward... If they can't limit LeBron, this is not, I mean, it very well could be a sweep. If not, I mean, five games seems generous for them. So, Morton, I'm curious, what would you do if you're the Hawks? How would you adjust after game one? Well, I always love the idea of limiting LeBron, like you just said, because it sounds so easy, right? Right. It it can't be done. I mean, it's just everyone says that. It's always like the key to a series. Like, you got to contain LeBron. you got to keep him on the perimeter. Well, you know what? He's going to find a way to be productive regardless. You just have to live with it and try as much as you can to minimize his impact. And that's, ironically, the point I'm going to make for Game 2 as well. Now, that being said, looking at Game 1, you had uh, Richard Jefferson and Channing Frye coming in, playing a collectively 19 minutes Mm -hmm. and getting 16 points out of that. That is a huge game changer. Like yeah. You have to be able to cover the role players, especially those who can stretch the court. Giving up free points like that, that especially from end-of-bench type of guys, not, not saying that Channing Fry is an end-of-bench guy, but giving the minutes amount he played, that's it's not a significant role he had in that sense. You can't give up that point total. You just can't. You've got to limit the, the shooters. Mm-hmm. I actually named J.R. Smith as my X factor for Cleveland, because <laughs> believe it or not, once Love uh, was out last year and once Kyrie was out, you know, out for half of the series, Jr. eighteen points, seven point five rebounds, and four threes per game against Atlanta last year. 
had 28 points on 10 of 16 shooting and eight rebounds in game one and had double doubles in games three and four. So I think you're totally right. You know, obviously the big three are going to get theirs. Kevin Love, he was four of 17 from the field in game one, but still had 17 points and 11 rebounds. Kyrie had 21 points on 18 shots. So realistically, you're penciling them in for at least 60, 65 points a night, yeah. especially given how well they've been playing. But yeah, I think you're totally right. It's If you can limit that complimentary cast and hold JR to a bad shooting night from three, uh, make sure that you know, random guys like Fry and Jefferson aren't going off. I mean, Shumpert and Della Vidova only had three points uh, in game one combined. So they're always looming as potential offensive threats as well. It's an uphill battle for the Hawks, no matter how you look at it. I mean, they're a little bit healthier this time around. Kyle Korver was banged up in that series, missed a couple games last year, but he did almost nothing uh, last night. He only had three points, missed his only field goal attempt. You know, I think you really need to, you need to get hot from three. Um, Dennis Schroeder was really the only guy who did so in game one. He had five of his 10 three-pointers, had a team-high 27 points. So maybe that's part of the solution, is just getting a little bit more production from the bench, aside from Schroeder. But either way, it really all starts with James. And if you can't, if Bazemore and Cephalosha can't stop him, maybe you throw Millsap on him for a little bit. I don't know. It's, it's It's a tough matchup for Atlanta, especially because Tristan Thompson just really, this is the one time where he looks like an all-star every time. <laughs> well, l- let's let's be fair, though. I mean, you have Paul and Al shooting much like they're DeRozan and Kyle Lowry in round one. Yeah. <laughs> they, they were abysmal. Right. You had Kyle Korver, as you mentioned, three points in 37 minutes of play, and Jeff Teague shot 22% from the field. Mm-hmm. That's not going to repeat itself, I don't think, personally. Um whether Cleveland can adjust to a maybe increased offensive output from from Atlanta, I, yeah, I don't I don't doubt that because it's LeBron. He can run the troops. You know, he's he's coaching, he's GMing, he's everything. <laughs> um, but but I I just don't think that you can pencil those guys in from the Hawks having that bad performances time and time again. They're just too good to do that. I mean. Just look at Paul. Just a couple of games ago, he scored 45 points on the Celtics, and they're yeah. no slouch defensively, you know? That's true. So it, it was a bad opening game percentage-wise, and still they were right there. Right. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it went six. Yeah, I could definitely see that. I mean, especially as the Thunder proved, you know, you can get blown out by 30 in the first game and come back and still steal a game on the road. So in the playoffs, really every game is its own entity. So we will... We will see what happens here. I think, you know, Cleveland is just such a tricky matchup for Atlanta because their offense is so different. I wrote about this in my preview for bballbreakdown.com. Atlanta is one of the, uh, they're really taking from uh, Mike Budenholzer, who is a former Spurs coach or assistant coach. They really have adopted the ball movement heavy offense. They've been sixth fifth and sixth in passes made per game over the past three seasons respectively and they were second this year in assists per game trailing only only golden state and i think a large part of that is because they don't have that go-to scorer like Kyrie, like lebron who they can rely on to get a bucket in crunch time in isolation 
But Cleveland, meanwhile, just runs ISOs. I mean, they had the fifth most ISOs of any team this year. And James, in particular, had the third most behind just James Harden and Carmelo. So it's a tough matchup because Atlanta is so used to defending, you know, in practice, they're defending their own ball movement heavy look. And now they have to really focus on one on one D. And the same thing is true for Cleveland. You know, they can't fall asleep, and especially on health defense, because there is so much ball movement going on on Atlanta's side. Um, I mean, I. I hope that Atlanta can make this a series because these these playoffs, save for a few series, have been somewhat disappointing to date. But not totally optimistic here. I really, I really hope <laughs> to see. I hope I'm wrong, but I really think this one. I think Cleveland takes Game Two. Um, they'll take one of the two in Atlanta and then close it out in Game Five. I'm. I agree with you, but I'm hoping Atlanta actually takes the series. I think it could be pretty fun to see someone outside of LeBron make the Eastern Conference uh, representation in the finals just for once. It's been five straight years, which is impressive. And if he makes it six, even more so. So it's not that I'm against that at all, but I I would like to see some new faces in the finals just to make things interesting. Because let's let's be honest here, the NBA finals is going to be a secondary this year. That's true. That is very true. Well... Atlanta isn't our only hope in that regard. In the other series that's going on right now, we have Toronto and Miami, who are battling, presumably, for the right to fight LeBron in the Eastern Conference Finals. The battle of the non-shooting shooting guards. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who can hit less threes? Uh, I actually wrote about this as well for bballbreakdown.com, did a preview for this, and that was really the number one storyline for me was Toronto's backcourt, because they were just... As you mentioned, they shot so poorly, so poorly against Indiana. Lowry was just 31.6% on 14 shots a game. DeRozan, 31.9%, uh, almost 20 shots per game. So if they have any chance of surviving against Miami, obviously both of those guys need to do a little bit better. Uh, luckily, they're not going up against George Hill and Paul George this time. They get Goran Dragic and Dwayne Wade, who are... Slightly less formidable defensively. Morton, do you think the all-star backcourt of Lowry and DeRozan get it going here? Or do you think this one's an easy easy road for Miami? Well, first of all, I love your plugs, Brian. You've become so excellent with all the plugs. <laughs> it's just wonderful. Um, no, I, I think the backcourt of Toronto is going to get... Yeah, I don't want to say they're going to get back on track because it seems unfair. They had games against the Pacers where they looked like they did in the regular season. But I think they're going to find their footing now. Mm-hmm. They've gone through seven games of playoff hell, actually, because they the, the Pacers really played them tough. Yeah, You had both guys struggling from, from the field, and DeRozan in particular couldn't do anything from you know when he was outside. But they started to recognize where they had their strengths. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to play off a little bit against Miami. The problem here is when Miami is on, they are really, really good. When they max out their potential on the court, they are, I would say, the second best team in the East. Yeah. But when they bottom out, they are essentially, I don't want to say Philly, but it's close to it (laughs) because they can really, they can really suck when, when they play their worst product. So it depends. Like, what are we going to see? Are we going to see a motivated Hassan Whiteside? If so, 
that takes away a lot of shots at the rim for both Lowry and DeRozan, and they, they would have to rely on their outside game, which is not a strength of them in the playoffs, at least. Mm-hmm. So it's it comes down to matchups. It comes down to what Miami can do in terms of cohesiveness and what the what kind of product they put out there. I think Luol Deng is going to wreak havoc completely on Toronto because they don't really have anyone to cover him. Yo, yeah, you can put Demari Carroll on him, but Lou is just so smart. I've been watching Lou for like 11, 12 years now. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what kind of defender you put on him. He'll find those seams. He'll find the open shot. He won't force anything. He's just so clever. And defensively, he's rock solid. He pounds the glass and he's an underrated passer. If Miami is going to make this like a non-series and walk through them in four and five, it's because of Lou and potentially Dwayne Wade living up to the old legend that he is. Yeah, I re- I'm glad you brought up Lou because I also think he's going to be really the key for Miami if they're going to make this a quick series. You know, ever since Chris Bosh went out at the All Star break with uh, blood clot complications for the second straight year. Dang moved to the four, and he really thrived in that role. He averaged about 15 points on nearly 50% shooting, eight rebounds, and a three per game. Uh, against Charlotte, he went off for 19 points on 54% shooting, nearly seven rebounds, and three threes per game. Um, so I think that small ball battle is really going to be clutch uh, for Miami, especially because Toronto moved Patrick Patterson into their starting lineup. Uh, during that Indiana series, they benched Luis Scola. And I have to assume they're going to stick with that, especially since Patterson seems to be a little bit better of a matchup for Dang. But even still, I think Dang just has that, he's that perfect skill set for the stretch four now, especially if Toronto doesn't have a bigger punishing four to really you know make Miami think twice about playing a smaller guy there. And they don't. They have Valanchunas at the five, but Miami has Whiteside to counter there. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you brought that that matchup up. Like, let me ask you something. Mm-hmm. In terms of who's the better player, that's always going to be a debate, especially in this series because they're comparable in in terms of their offensive volume, which is similar. They're both great rebounders. But now, when you look at a seven game series where they're going to be matched up for one another, like for 25 minutes a game, who is going to take that? game like after game after game who's going to be the dominant type i have a feeling that white side is going to yeah. sneak up on jonas yep. i totally agree he's he was another big part of my preview you know i think just he swatted 24 shots in the first round which is a franchise record jonas is a great offensive player and he's improving on defense but white side as such a fearsome shot blocker is really going to cause problems I think for the whole Raptors team, even, you know, Lowry and DeRozan, they will presumably not have as much trouble with Dragic and Wade as they did in the first round. But even if they get past those guys, they still have to get, you know, they still have to meet Whiteside at the rim. That's not going to be a cakewalk by any means. I think really Toronto's best bet, in my opinion, is to actually challenge him. And it's probably going to end with a few block shots early, but if you can draw a couple of fouls on him, then you kind of swing the balance in your favor. But if Whiteside can just wreak havoc for 30 minutes a night and stay on the court and avoid foul trouble, I mean, he you know he averaged 14 points on almost above 60% shooting during the regular season, 
almost 70% shooting against Charlotte. Their three regular season matchups, he was 17 of 33, so that's about 51-52%, but he did block 14 shots in those three games. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, if he's still if he's on the court, especially because DeRozan is such a poor three-point shooter and doesn't really look for that shot that much, he really kind of thrives at the rim or in that mid-range game. Like he's DeRozan could be in trouble in this series. I think Lowry might get it going again, but DeRozan between having to deal with, you know, I, I'm thinking Luol Deng starts on him because I don't think you worry too much about Damari Carroll or Patrick Patterson beating you. So I think you're putting your best defender on DeRozan. Yeah, move makes sense. Yeah, move Wade to Carroll, maybe move John, Joe Johnson to Patrick Patterson, and let those guys beat you instead of DeRozan. And then, you know, I think the thing off the bench is that Miami has Justice Winslow, so he's going to make life hell for DeRozan when he gets to play. Um, Tyler Johnson just came back. He's not a bad defender. Josh Richardson. Like, all of those guys are at least pesky enough that there's no real reprieve for the Toronto backcourt, especially, I mean, if Dragic, I think, is probably the worst defensive player out of all of those guys. But if Spo has a quick hook and puts out Richardson to shut down Lowry and maybe cross matches, puts Dragic out there when Corey Joseph is there, I think, you know, on paper it looks like an easier matchup, but I don't know that it necessarily is. I would agree with the point about putting Lou on DeMar DeRozan. And you mentioned something in, in particular regarding Whiteside that you would need someone to drive to the cup and force him to foul or force him to try to block shots. That guy, obviously, is DeMar DeRozan. But if you put Dang on him, DeRozan won't even get to the cup in the first place. Mm -hmm. So I think Toronto is in trouble here. I think this is the matchup that they don't have the personnel to beat. I mean, yeah, they might take a game. They might even take two if they if they you know get their role players going. And if Demaria has one of those, you know, thirty four point outings like he did in Indiana, where mm-hmm. he just caught fire. But somehow I doubt it. Yeah. I mean, you just mentioned both Dang and Winslow, both of whom can really d up, and you know, Dang has a lot of experience with DeRozan in from his Chicago Bulls days. He was mm-hmm. matched up against him a lot, and oh, he knows true. his players. So there, there is an element here of Miami just being pre- positioned a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And that would concern me if I'm a Raptors fan. It's it's kind of it's kind of crazy when you think about it, because last year, Toronto got bounced in four games, I believe, against Washington. Yeah, was it, his, yeah, it was yeah, sweet, it was against, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, and then they spent the summer basically filling all those holes they had like defense mm-hmm. and shooting and now it's the playoffs again and they yeah they've solved a lot of their issues which is you know obvious since they made it to the second round but they still lack that one guy who can consistently create both them from outside and inside and facilitate a little bit they just need another yeah another guy another yeah. scorer they need yeah. that third guy like cleveland has if they somehow get that guy then you would make life tough on miami but right now i see the heat taking this one yeah, you know, I named Corey Joseph, my boy Corey Joseph, as my oh, X Factor for Toronto yeah. because, you know, he could be that guy. He had almost 11 points a night in only 23 minutes against Indiana. He shot 59% from the field almost. Didn't chip in much else. He had about two and a half assists, two rebounds, 1.3 steals. But with 
DeRozan and Lowry struggling, he really shouldered a lot of that offensive load. You know, he finished Game 7, 8 points on 4 of 8 shooting, 4 assists, 3 rebounds, and a block in 28 minutes. It seems like he started to get more minutes as that series went along. So I'm wondering if Dwayne Casey is gaining confidence in him, especially if Lowry again continues to struggle i know lowry had some issues with his elbow earlier this year and you have to wonder if that's affecting him more than we realized and if it is you know i think having a guy like joseph either coming off the bench or if i mean god forbid if lowry has to miss a game or two joseph should be able to at least keep them afloat you know he might not be able to swing the series in their favor but i could see him at least swinging a game or two just to put it into perspective, right? DeRozan and Lowry took collectively took 190 more shots than Corey Joseph. So you have to question if he even's gonna if he's even gonna get the touches and the shots. Yeah, Joseph, that is. Yeah, to become that player that you mentioned, I'm t- I totally agree with you in that he's the obvious guy to choose to become that third scorer. Mm-hmm. I just question if he's gonna if he has the volume to do it. He's yeah. efficient. But can he consistently create off his off his own? Oh, and more importantly, will he even have the possibility to do so when Lowry and DeRozan are taking that many jump shots? Right. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, especially because you know if he is coming off the bench, he's going to face Johnson and Richardson, who are mm. better defenders in theory than Dragic anyway. So he's presumably getting the tougher matchup here and there you know there you mentioned it before there's always the possibility that wade goes off for one of those vintage 25 30 point games johnson had, he only appeared in one of the four regular season meetings and in that game wade actually missed it because of a thigh injury but johnson did have 28 points on 11 of 21 shooting five assists four rebounds and four threes that night so he's he's also proven capable of lighting up Toronto a little bit. So I I have a feeling that we get a couple of those games. We get Wade and Johnson kind of taking over. We get Whiteside really causing problems in the middle unless Toronto can draw fouls on him. And yeah, I mean, I picked this one as Miami in six. Part of that could, might be wishful thinking. Like yeah, I just, could be five. <laughs> yeah, could be. I mean, I I wouldn't be. I wouldn't honestly. It's nothing against Toronto, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Raptors win this one. Like I think this is uh, Spurs Thunder is right with it. But in terms of the most evenly matched second round series, we're right there. I mean, either team easily could win and move on. I think Miami just presents a few more matchup problems than the other way around. And I'll be honest, I really want to see a Cleveland-Miami Eastern Conference Finals. <laughs> I just, the storylines from that would be so fantastic. That's um, true. That's true. And we, you know, we we also have to keep an eye out. Chris Bosh, you know, hopefully he's just getting his health in order. Um, he's been making a little bit of noise lately on Twitter about trying to make it back onto the court and uh dan levitard on monday reported it might actually start getting ugly uh the boshes might try to get the nba players union involved it sounds like i mean right now it sounds like he is still on blood thinners and no doctor in the world is going to clear him if he is still on blood thinners it's just too risky i think the question is whether he can get off of them don't do it chris yeah i mean i you know i understand his frustration i yeah you know, I, I'm sure, like, 
especially as a professional athlete to have your body betraying you like this like i can't imagine there's anything more frustrating in the entire world but you know health comes first so i i hope that if he comes back which again sounds like it's still doubtful that you know the heat have really considered all possible options here but we that that is looming as a potential total wild card because if bosch comes back in the middle of this series i mean oh willis reed moment yeah exactly exactly so that would swing i would no longer feel up in the air about uh my prediction in this series but uh how about you martin what do you what do you see this going as you know uh, it could go five could also go six but i'm looking at toronto's bench right now Mm mm-hmm and it dawned on me that they actually have a few weapons that struggled last series. We and they might not struggle this time around. Like Terrence Ross shot thirty one percent. Yeah. He's a guy who can get hot, he can stretch the floor, he's not gonna, you know, be satisfied with five points a game. Mm-hmm. Then you have Bismack Biombo, yeah, who is a strong rebounder, a shot blocker, and he can protect the paint, especially when Whiteside goes out of the game. That's true. Like if he goes up against Amari Stoudemire, that's on his lag legs. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm gonna choose Bismack Biombo every single time. So if he can like keep the second line defense in check, and be the anchor that he is, and assuming that you can get yeah, yeah, Terrence Ross going and maybe get some more threes out of Patrick Patterson. I know he's starting, but you can mix and match accordingly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then I could see Toronto maybe making this a legitimate series, but it would have to be the bench really doing the grunt work if Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan cannot find their, their own. Yeah, for sure. So you're going to say Heat in... Six. Six? six. Okay. I'm going to be okay. optimistic and say six. Yeah, we're, we're on the same page yeah, then. Just because I want a good series. I, I don't want to yeah. see Miami just steamroll them in four or five. I, I want to see six or seven games. That would be nice. I agree. I agree. Um, so let, let's switch our focus here for a moment because we lost a few teams in the first round. We'll start with Charlotte because I think of the four, they are probably the most interesting just in terms of how many free agents they have and how different they could look next year. What? No Hunger Game music, Brian? <laughs> no tribute music? I'm disappointed, yeah. son. Well, we're about to have tributes for how many Hornets could be heading out of Charlotte this oh, summer. Yeah. We've got Nick Batum is the big one, but you also have Marvin Williams, Jeremy Lin, Courtney Lee, and Al Jefferson, all of whom might not be back with the Hornets next year. So, Morton, if you're uh, Rich Cho, if you're in charge of the Hornets, what are you doing this summer to get back to the playoffs hopefully get back to the second round or further you know what i'm trying to get the band back together i thought they did well i mean yeah Dwayne wade went epic uh old school in game six but the hornets Mm -hmm. had them right there they were on the verge of going to the second round i mean that's i'm not gonna ignore that i'm not not gonna ignore like a a stretch where Dwayne wade just goes ape i'm not i mean (laughs) you know I, i that's that's ridiculous i think they had a very good chemistry their defense was mm-hmm. really really built well built together they 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 really helped each other out there was a cohesiveness and you know michael kidd gilchrist is coming back yes that's really yes. the key for me like what would their potential have been if he was healthy right especially right. with nicholas Batum right there 
who's a good yeah. defender in in his own right and can handle the ball yeah. and shoot a little bit, uh, which would negate the per the, negate the need uh, for you know Gilchrist his own offense because he's not a strong scorer. Yeah, Kemba. I like Kemba. I think he struggled mightily in that series. Uh, I think mm-hmm. he shot like 36%. But he did it in a different way than his usual 36% games, if that makes <laughs> sense. Right. Because he was the heart and soul there. He was. He did not yeah. give up on any play. It was a different Kemba Walker than like four years ago. And I appreciate that, and I think he can build on that. But I do think they need another piece. But in order to get that piece, they need to get the band back together first. Or at least know that... That guy, that that group of guys are there. It depends, of course, on what kind of salary Batum is looking for, and Jeremy Lin to a certain extent as well, because they, they you know, if they are limited cap wise, they mm-hmm. won't be able to go out and get a big time free agent. But maybe they just need to move some pieces around, like Al Ho- or Al Jefferson is coming off the books. Like, what can you get him down to if you're willing to? keep him on and if not you can let him walk essentially if you feel comfortable doing that so i haven't i haven't looked at the numbers but if they can somehow get the groove back and add not a legitimate piece but a guy who can at least come into the rotation and make them that deeper and especially if it's a guy who can shoot and it's a two-way player then i like their chances i like seeing them build and and move forward and grow together i'm optimistic yeah, I'm I'm right with you. I think you definitely have to at least give this one more shot. I just pulled up the Charlotte salary cap page. So it looks like they have about 49 million in active contracts, not counting any of the free agents. Or I guess it is counting Jeremy Lin, but he's going to opt out. So probably 47 million yeah. in contracts. I think Jefferson, you know, he's probably the last on my list that I'm trying to resign. Yeah, I think you you have to. He's got a cap figure of over twenty million, so you're gonna have to give up his rights either way, just to sign everyone else and fit everything cap gymnastics wise. I think Batum is obviously the key, and I mean, it sounds crazy, but he's getting a max this summer. Yeah, he's absolutely getting a max deal, and I think Charlotte just gave up. You know, they gave up Vonley for him. They gave up Gerald Henderson. I think you gave up too much for him to be a one year rental. So I think you have to, I mean, maybe you don't give him a full five-year max because only other teams can only offer a four-year deal. You know, maybe make the raises a little bit smaller. But he's getting over $100 million this summer, which sounds <laughs> insane on the surface. But he's only 27. Yeah. And he is just such a perfect fit for what they were trying to do. I mean, I think he's the reason that Kemba had a career year this year because he is such a good such a good passer he can handle the ball well he's just a a good secondary creator so Kemba doesn't have to have the ball in his hands all the time and I think that's really the key to making Kemba into what he turned into this year he needs someone else to shoulder some of that load as you mentioned MKG is coming back he could have been a huge difference maker in that series you figure he's probably getting glued to Dwayne Wade or Joe Johnson the whole time Batum was also banged up in that series, missed a couple games. I really liked what Courtney Lee did for them. I thought he was a really good 3-and-D guy. So I have a feeling that he's going to be too expensive for them to keep unless he's willing to take a discount. Um, I just think the market for those types of players is 
you know, especially after what he did this year in Charlotte, I think he's probably going to get a little bit more than what they would like to do. Um, but I think Batum is, you need to bring him back. Marvin Williams, again, I think he's a guy you got to bring back at least maybe not on a full four or five year deal, but bring him back at least on a three year deal or something. You just, he is, he also had a career year like this. This is where the year he finally broke out. And then Jeremy Lin, he said, I want to say yesterday on Monday, that he's willing to take a discount to come back because he really liked the chemistry on the roster. So I think, you know, hopefully that's not just BS and he's not just placating the media when he's saying that because he was so, such a good fit on Charlotte. And I would like to gloat for a second because I called it. I wrote something for bballbreakdown.com last year <laughs> where, uh, where I said Lynn might be able to bring Linsanity back because they're such a pick-and-roll heavy team. And that's really where he thrived in Los Angeles. Byron Scott refused to let him run pick and rolls. So he had an awful year and he butted heads with Byron Scott the whole year, which as it turns out was just a precursor to the D'Angelo Russell experience. But yeah, I just think Lynn is such a good fit there. So I'm with you. I think you bring the band back. There is, I don't know where all this chatter is coming from, but there is talk of Dwight Howard being a potential target for them in free agency i don't know if dwight seems to me like he would want to go to a place that has a little bit more media attention but who knows i think he's from the atlanta area which isn't all that far from charlotte yeah so maybe he's the big free agent splash you make i mean it might it's going to be challenging to keep batum williams lynn and get someone else but if you can make it work that's really, you know, that, that team really could be very good next year. So I'm curious to see where they go. Uh, another team with a huge offseason ahead, the Boston Celtics. They, I mean, they, they just have so many assets. And you've got to figure at some point they need to start cashing in these chips. They have the third best odds in the lottery, thanks to the Brooklyn Nets thanks to that atrocious Kevin Garnett deal from a few summers ago. They've got a couple, they have the, another 2018 unprotected first-round pick from Brooklyn. They have a 2017 pick swap, and Brooklyn does not look like they're going to be good anytime soon. So you got to figure those are also top five, top ten picks for the next two years. I mean, Boston has a bunch of talent especially in the backcourt you have isaiah thomas avery bradley marcus smart you've got a couple of young guys and terry roger and rj hunter uh their front court situation is a little more unsettled you have jared sullinger becoming a restricted free agent this year amir johnson i believe is entering a contract year in 2016-17 so boston is really in a strange place right now where you could you know, they have the talent of a 45-win team. They put a scare into Atlanta, but it seems like they are just waiting. They are like where Houston was right before the James Harden deal. They're lurking for that next big superstar trade. So, Morton, if you're if you're Danny Ainge, who are you targeting this summer as your big free agent or trade splash? I can't believe you talked about Boston for two minutes and didn't bring up DeMarcus Cousins. <laughs> That's... That's a fair point. Yeah, that's yeah. that's the guy I target, and if not him, Jimmy Butler. There's a clear yeah. priority as far as I'm concerned. You go after Cousins first. You 
call up Vladi Divas, you offer him something completely asinine, like <laughs> Avery Bradley and one of the Brooklyn picks, and you go, Vladi, this is a good deal, and I'll send you some vodka as well. And he'll go, huh, maybe. And if that doesn't work, yeah, I'll probably offer a whole bunch for DeMarcus. And yeah. if somehow Sacramento just keeps declining, I'll call up the Bulls and I'll go, look, you morons, it's time to rebuild. You, I know you don't know it yet, but we all know it. <laughs> Bulls fans know it. The remaining 29 teams know it. Now you have to understand it, and that's why we're offering you this rebuilding package for Jimmy Butler. So that's the priority going into the season. One of those two. Uh, if they come out with neither, I would consider it a disappointment. Unless, of course, Danny Ainge's plan isn't to go all in this season, which could be a possibility. If his yeah. plan is not to cash his chips right now, I'll respect that because then I, I believe it's in, I believe in that vision of his. If he feels that, you know, Ben Simmons or Brandon Ingram or wherever they land in the draft is a, is the type of guy they want to have around and who can build a foundation with them, then so be it. <laughs> who am I to argue otherwise? Look at that position. They have the league's best salary structure. Yeah. They have some of the best trading as, uh, assets of any team in the league. The world is at their feet right now. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up their salary structure because right now, Johnson is the only player earning more than $10 million a year on that team. And his, his contract is unguaranteed for next season. Right, yeah. So if they want to, they can... Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye. yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if he's gone, I mean, who knows what happened. Or I mean, you got to use him in theory in any big superstar trade just as yeah, a way it. to... Yeah, exactly. And, but, then, and then the team can waive him afterwards and save a right. bunch of money. He's actually one of their biggest trade assets who's not talked about. Yeah, he really is. Um, and I, it looks like Jonas Jerebko also, $5 million not guaranteed but yeah. aside from that you have avery bradley at 8.3 next year isaiah thomas 6.6 million dollars that's ridiculous come on yeah man. it's unreal it's just unreal and, and jake, jake Crowder at six yeah. two come on yeah this this, this is this is like cheating at nba 2k16 let's be honest here <laughs> this is like okay you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna take myself back to when i played 2k okay yep. here's what i did when I entered free agency with my team, I started raiding down the players. I went in and added players, and I made them worse so I can get them for cheap. Somehow, Danny Ainge did this. Yeah, he like, really did. Well, okay, that he we can't give Ainge credit for the Isaiah Thomas uh, deal because that was signed right. with Phoenix, but you know, right. with Jay Crowder, he can't. Jay Crowder. Yeah, I don't that's... know how he he's he he went in and edited Jay Crowder's ratings. I don't know how he did it, but it's he totally did worked. Yeah, yeah, and I remember. What he, I think that was a what five year, thirty five million dollar deal. Yeah, when that happened over the summer, some people are like, "What seven million for Jay Crowder?" It was. But a, now look, look at this. You know, the cap is going to jump forty million over the next eighteen months. That's going to be less than the mid level exception in a couple of years. Like that, it's one of the best contracts in the NBA. So yeah, right now they have about fifty two million in active contracts. The only three. Free agents they have are Tyler Zeller, Sullinger, and Evan Turner. You got to figure one of the two bigs is gone, if not both. I think Turner they might try to re-sign, depending on what happens uh, with the draft and with other free agent targets. I know you floated Al Horford as a potential target for them. Oh yeah, I really like. Yeah, really like the idea of that because I think you know they they clearly need 
um, an upgrade in the front court. And I think Horford is that kind of guy, as he's proved in Atlanta, that he's not a ball-dominant center. He doesn't need to be fed in the post like my favorite Jaleel Okafor. <laughs> he can he can really thrive in a movement-heavy system. Exactly. Um, and that's, you know, with all of the firepower in Boston's backcourt. This could be a really good team, depending on what happens this summer. So we'll have to we'll have to keep an eye on that. I think Indiana really finds itself at a crossroads as well, because after they got knocked out against Toronto, Larry Bird kind of made some surprising comments about Frank Vogel and made it sound like the head coach may not be back with Indiana next year. What do you think about that? This is such a Bulls situation. <laughs> like, okay, so Frank Vogel wasn't Larry Bird's hire. But he's a good coach. I understand yeah. there is some concerns about the offense. It wasn't all that creative. Mm-hmm. But who did you really have? Like, right. you signed Monta Ellis. An old, <laughs> an old Monta Ellis, no less. Like, right. what the hell did you expect? You yeah. have Paul George, who somehow, some way, came back from one of the weirdest, most hardcore injuries that I've ever seen and felt sick to my stomach seeing. And had the year that he that he did have, which was exceptional, and you combine that with Monta freaking Ellis, and then you complain about it afterwards. Like, no, no, don't don't give me that, Indiana. Don't give me that, Larry. Come on, <laughs> get some proper guys in place before you sack Frank, because he's he's a wonderful defensive coordinator. He understands what it's, it takes to get his guys in in line. Because I mean, I haven't heard anything about players not liking playing under him. Have you? No, I mean, no, it seems like they cape for him pretty hard. Exactly. So, you, I mean, Indiana here is pulling in Chicago where management is at fault and somehow the coach is getting the sack, which is ridiculous. Um, and if I'm like New York, I yeah. would try to snag up Vogel in a heartbeat. But yeah, alas, I'm apparently in love with Kurt Rambis for some yeah, reason. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about the Knicks shortly because yeah. that's... That's a whole other thing. Yeah, I'm with you. I think, I mean, I don't think anyone expected the Pacers to make the playoffs this year, did they? I, I, I don't think I did, no. I, I, I'm i pretty sure I didn't have them in there. Um, You know, I mean, it looked like Paul George and then a bunch of filler. Like, as you said, Monta, an old Monta Ellis is not exactly a winning combination a young Monta Ellis isn't a winning combination yeah, right, and when you could right. sign an old Monta Ellis it just becomes that much worse now, okay let me just paint you like the dreaded scenario for, for Pacers fans right here Frank yeah. Vogel is fired Larry he goes on a coaching search and he finds Indiana royalty Mark Jackson oh boy oh boy please please no please save Paul George if that happens yeah. Please, God, let someone trade for Paul George. Like, If yeah. that happens, Paul George is going to ask out within two years. Oh, I hope he asks out within two minutes. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, no. Please. Please. If nothing else, Larry Bird, like, save Paul George. He's already been through enough trauma with that leg injury. Don't make him get coached by Mark Jackson. Yeah. Don't can can we just talk about that one bit a little bit? You know, the the I didn't hire this guy mentality. Like, who cares? Yeah. That's the same with the Bulls. I know I keep referring. I, I still think it was a stupid-ass <laughs> decision to fire Tom Thibodeau, even though they right. had, like, a, you know, some some issues internally. 
He was hired by Jerry Reinsdorf. Okay, mm-hmm. so management didn't hire him. So freaking what? He led the Bulls like the league's best record for two years. Frank Vogel has made Indiana relevant again. He, yeah. he he's turned that franchise around. He's installed a culture that is sustainable. He has the yeah. respect of his players, his star player most importantly. Mm-hmm. And no, we're back to this ego-driven BS that somehow it wasn't my guy is a viable excuse. That's a right. load of BS. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he's, as we've found out, it's not every day that you find a coach who gets to draft a rookie stretch five and realize, oh, he's actually best suited to play the five. Yeah. And this is exactly how the NBA is going. Sometimes, like in New York, you get a coach who says, oh, I've got a seven foot two guy who can shoot threes. Let me put him in small forward. Oh, man. Let's see how this goes. Like, Vogel knows what Miles Turner is, and Miles Turner is a freak. Like, he is, I mean, next to Paul George, he is the future of that franchise. Completely. Like, forget, forget Monta, forget George Hill, forget Rodney Stuckey. Like, Miles Turner is, he is a monster. And Frank Vogel knows what he has in him. And really, I mean, he really let him go down the stretch. Like, he was a big part of their playoff rotation, so... I'm with you. I I keep Vogel at least one more year. I mean, oh, at least like, like give I, just give him more firepower. Like if you want the offense to be better, don't build around point guards who can't shoot. Yeah. Now let let's see what happens. Like okay, so let's let's say Vogel gets another year, right? Then Larry comes to him. Okay, Frank, I'm giving you another shot, and I've brought you the necessary firepower. Here you go, Dwight Howard. Oh, oh man, right? Like I'm not yeah. I'm trying to be pessimistic here, but like I, I you know, these managers, they have to have an understanding of where the league is going and some right. of them really do not have a freaking clue. Yeah, I wonder if I mean, but Bird Bird was like he ushered in this small ball era 30 years before the league was ready. So you would think if anyone is ready for it, it's the guy from the 80s who made his name shooting three points exactly and then monza ellis like how does that even compute yeah it really doesn't it really i mean courtney lee seems like the type of guy they should go after oh he he would would be be so good yeah or i'm even willing let's get lance back like let's (laughs) see if we can i want to save lance stevenson's career let's see if he can make some sense of whatever happened the last two years let's let's both admit we were wrong Let's just get Lance back for one more year. See. Well, wait a minute. Wait, I'm looking at their cap situation right now. I may have a better name for you right here. Okay. And we talked about him earlier, Nicholas Batum. Oh yeah. They could actually afford him. Oh yeah. So they've got they have about fifty nine point three million in active contracts. So they've got give or take about thirty two, thirty three million to play with. They've got. Ian Mahinmi, Jordan Hill, Solomon Hill, and Ty Lawson are their notable free agents. Mahinmi is probably the one you want to retain. Solomon Hill actually played pretty well toward the end of the year as well. But I feel like Jordan Hill and Ty Lawson are expendable. So mm-hmm. even if you bring those guys back, you probably still have close to enough for a max. Maybe not a team. max, but at least a contract that he'll consider. Yeah. Yeah, he would be... And he can play the two... Paul can yeah. play the four at times, and they can right. change up at the, at the three. Yeah. That would be an amazing addition, and that would be one that Frank Vogel can unlock. Yeah, especially defensively. Defensively would be sick. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, he's he's good. I mean, I like Chandler Parsons would be a good fit there. They they have options. I just banana boat. <laughs> like making, you know what? I think Chandler Parsons just to go off record or off topic for a second. I think he's worth an additional five million just because of the way he befriends players around the league. Oh, totally. Yeah, he's he's one of the best recruiters there is. Yeah. Like, we should just rename him Banana Boat. Please, Chandler Parsons. I know Chandler's a nice name. It is. I like it. But just, dude, like, if there is a thing as Meta World Peace, just call yourself Banana Boat. Two words. Yeah. Like, I want to see Boat behind that jersey, and I'll buy that jersey, Chandler. I'll buy that jersey. At least let it be a nickname. And then when they have those nickname jerseys, you can break it out then. All right, let's let's turn our focus to the last team here in the East, the Detroit Pistons, who they got swept by Cleveland, but they oh. put up a pretty pretty decent fight. It wasn't like uh You think? I was disappointed. Every game was at least close. It was never like Cleveland totally had its way with Detroit. I I just think personally I love their starting five. I wouldn't touch yeah. their starting five. No. I think you need to build out that bench. Because I think, you know, you got Reggie Jackson, you have KCP, you have Marcus Morris, you have Tobias Harris, you have Drummond, you got Stanley Johnson off the bench. Then it starts to get iffy. And I think, you know, if Jody Meeks were healthy this year, he could have helped swing things a little bit. But you really badly need a backup point guard who's better than Steve Blake. Um, I just think that's that's where you got to go if you're Detroit in free agency. You just got to build out your depth because your starters can hold their own, but you're not, you know, those 10, 15 minutes in a playoff game where you really need to rely heavily on the reserves. You're in trouble if you're relying on Steve Blake. So, I was disappointed about Reggie Jackson in the playoffs. He okay. he was the the worst scorer in the starting lineup for Detroit. He should never be the worst scorer in Detroit starting lineup over yeah. the course of a series. Uh, he had Kyrie Irving on him a fair bit, and Kyrie is not a strong defender. Right. And Jackson is strong, sneakily strong. Mm -hmm. He can get to the cup, he can shoot, get to the line, and he looked passive scoring-wise. He, he was a fine playmaker, averaged over nine assists, and you could see he was in control of the team, yeah. which which was positive. I'll give him that. But I was so disappointing in, disappointed in his lack of aggressiveness in scoring the ball. Detroit needs scoring their defense is actually pretty decent they they have excellent rebounders in, in drummond and you, you even even uh tobias harris can rebound outside his area he, di he didn't do it uh well he did do it in the playoffs but he has had periods of where he struggled rebounding but he seems to be finding that uh i want to say mojo ever since coming to detroit i think orlando ran a different set that didn't necessarily give him as many rebounding opportunities now he actually has that ability, but oh, total totally, I I feel that Reggie Jackson is the engine that makes the entire Detroit offense run, and when he yeah. is off that game, they suffer a lot. We talk about Miami and the way that their potential is when they're hitting on all, all cylinders, and the way that mm -hmm. they just they can go down into the bottom if they are if they're struggling. And right. it's the same with Detroit in terms of Reggie Jackson. As far as Reggie Jackson goes, that's as far as, as Detroit goes. And that has me yeah. a bit concerned. So I want to see improvements. Uh, 
from Andre Drummond. I want to see Kinsavius yeah. Caldwell Pope get better and at least more consistent. And I want to see mm-hmm. Marcus Morris maintain what he did this playoffs. I also want to see him rebound a little bit better. 3.3 a game, yeah. Marcus, really? Um, <laughs> and then I like what Tobias Harris brought to the table. Um, yeah. Yeah, you and I have covered Tobias a lot. We love that trade, so right. that's fine. Yeah, continuing our tradition of making fun of Orlando and every podcast for <laughs> yeah. giving him up for nothing. What the hell, Orlando? Yeah. What the yeah. hell? He's so good. Brandon Jennings, really? Like, yeah, mm. my God. I Good luck. You better get someone really good this summer because <laughs> if you just wasted four years of cost-controlled Tobias Harris... But, okay, just f- finishing up my thoughts on Reggie Jackson, right? He played 147 minutes in that series, and he had mm-hmm. four three-throw attempts. Wow. Yeah, that's a good I point. Mean, I'm, good point. I was, I'm really disappointed. I have him as the least valuable player in the first round. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. Simply because, But you know what? It, he, he, I mean, it's kind of a compliment. It's because I have high expectations of him. I know yeah. that he's a lot better than what he showed. Mm-hmm. I know that he, this guy, he can be an all-star. Yeah. I know that if he finds his game and if Detroit becomes like a year-to-year playoff squad, he can eventually like make the All-NBA third team. He's that type of player. He's got that type of talent. For sure. So so when he plays passively, it annoys the living hell out of him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a, I mean, I was likewise really high on Jackson, both coming into the year and coming into the playoffs. I thought he and Drummond... After he came over from OKC at the trade deadline last year, they just showed such chemistry on pick and rolls. They're just perfect together. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, yeah, Jackson does have a tendency to fall in love with the perimeter game a little too much. So I think he needs to, and hopefully him going against Kyrie will be a good, like he, hopefully he watches that film a lot this summer. So he can see Kyrie balancing that type of perimeter shooting with some aggressiveness to go to the basket. Uh, yeah. because yeah. that that really will help him round out his game and become more of a well-rounded threat. Um, and you would have to assume that's only going to improve pick and rolls too. The further he gets into the basket, you know, Drummond is, or you, you're probably going to throw to a perimeter player. But you've got spot-up shooters in KCP, Marcus. Mm-hmm. You have Tobias Harris. So drive in and kick it out. That's only going to unlock more options. For Detroit offensively. Have you ever had a cat, Brian? I have for a month. Okay. And then All I right. got allergic. <laughs> well, did you ever have one of those lasers that you toyed around with it so it ran yeah. after the laser? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's basically what Kyrie did to Reggie Jackson that series. <laughs> <laughs> Good analogy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that was that was really that was really disappointing. Like well, disappointing for Reggie. Kyrie really he stepped up. Yeah. And he, he averaged 27 a game. But that's really the, 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 the problem here for Jackson is he didn't even assert himself defensively either. I'm looking for a big summer yeah. for Reggie Jackson if I'm Detroit. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's it's a fair expectation. And, you know, this is actually the perfect segue into our Where Amazing Happens segment because we got some amazing news out of this Detroit series in that Andre Drummond might start shooting underhanded free throws. What do you think, yeah. pro or con? You know what? As horribly as he's shooting, it can only be a pro. I mean, yeah. it's only a good thing. I mean, yeah. like, how bad can it be, you know? It can't be any worse than, what, yeah. 35% from the field? I mean, it's gotten to the point now where he's worse than Dwight. Like, he is a 
legitimate liability at the line and Van Gundy was benching him in the fourth quarter and at the end of games because you just can't have a guy who's going to go 0 for 2 that frequently. Like oh, it's he's a, been worse than Dwight for a while. Yeah, but that like the hack-a-shack it doesn't work if someone is 45 or 50% from the line cuz you're yeah. still getting about a point per possession. But once you sink below that, once you're in the 35% range, then hack-a-shack is viable and it's just I mean, it's A, just creates ugly basketball, and B, is actually damaging to your team. So as much as I want to see Reggie improve, I really hope Drummond can figure something out from the free throw line because I had big hopes for him coming into the year. And he was a rebounding monster, but he didn't quite take the leap as I expected. I mean, that said, you're still maxing him out, no question, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. But... Let me just ask you something here, because this is something that I find very interesting. For a long while, especially in the 90s, whenever you had a bad free-throw shooter, shooter, he was always compared to Chris Dudley, the worst free-throw shooter of all time. <laughs> he was Chris Dudley was like, you know, the, the, uh, the spokesperson of bad free-throw shooters. <laughs> he shot 46% from the line over his career, but in recent years, like, that's become downright good. For a big man, yeah. I mean, we yeah. have Andre Drummond right now with a career percentage of 38%. At what point does these percentages become unacceptable? Yeah, I think we're yeah. there with Drummond. I think that's, uh, hopefully, I mean, that's why I'm optimistic about Van Gundy's hiring and his kind of no BS or no tolerance line with Drummond and free throw shooting. Like, I, I think it's good that he's taking him out of games and saying, look, like, you need to shape up here you need to you don't need to hit 70 percent, but you got to start hitting 50 or i can't play yeah. you and i think you know hopefully that leads drummond to lock himself into a gym for the next three months wake up shoot a thousand free throws go get breakfast shoot a thousand free throws yeah just... but does it that does that help like remember that screenshot on twitter a couple years back when dwight was in la yeah yeah and he hit like 80 percent at the line yeah, you know, I mean, I'm not sure that practice is the is the problem. I think there is something psychologically placed in there yeah. when they're on the court and when the game is active. I, th- there is some. It's not just him. It's you know, it's That's DeAndre true. Jordan as well. Yeah, it seems like there is a pretty big hindrance here. I'm hoping that you know all of the money teams are pouring into sports science and into sports psychologists. I'm hoping there's a way that they figure out how to better replicate game environments in practice. Like, there's no way you're yeah. gonna, you're not gonna pay a thousand fans to sit behind your basket in practice and bang those little plastic things and make all that noise. But you know, maybe at least make them, like, make them run a scrimmage and then just call a foul in the middle. So they're at least their body is used to the stress that you're under physically while you're at the free throw line maybe that helps i don't know i mean clearly if anyone had any idea how to fix these guys they would be paid a lot of money right now i I can save teams millions of dollars then you know you know what you know what you know what we 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 should do here it's pretty damn simple you put you know deandre jordan and andre drummond at the free throw line you you give them headphones on and it's Donald one of the Donald Trump's rallies <laughs> recorded. And here's the thing. After practice, if he has not hit 70%, that that those headphones are oh staying on. Like that's that's we'll we'll shut it off when you hit seven out of ten. That'll do it. Yeah. 
I think you just came up with the answer. That is absolutely the yeah. solution. Thank you, NBA. Yeah. I'll give you my PayPal information <laughs> later on. That is totally. That's it. You did it. All right. Let's uh, let's briefly talk about the Knicks, as we mentioned earlier, because oh, uh, do we have to? We do, because I'm just I don't I don't understand. It really sounds like they're going to hire Kurt Rambis as their permanent head coach. It sounds like Bill Jackson. He's committed to the triangle. Kurt Rambis has experience in the triangle. They were still awful after they brought Kurt Rambis on for the rest of the year. And Carmelo, in particular, just sounds furious that Tibbs went to Minnesota and that Scotty Brooks went to Washington before the Knicks ever had a chance to hire these guys. It sounds like he's he just wants a open process. They did interview David Blatt, but after... Blatt's rocky relationship with LeBron James. I'm curious how he would fit with a Carmelo Anthony who might have one foot out the door. So, I mean, we mentioned Frank Vogel earlier as a logical Knicks target. Do you think Rambus is the worst thing they can do? Is nepotism a skill? <laughs> Ask the Colangelos. Yes. Yeah, because I'm thinking that's that's really what Phil is all about these days. Just nepotism. Yeah. Nothing else. Yeah. No, I, you know, I, I get the triangle argument. Mm-hmm. It hasn't really been done in this new era. Right. And if you do it right, I want to see how far it can go. Mm-hmm. So I get Phil's idea of that, but Kurt Rambis, like, really? Yeah. It's I so mean, bad. You you need a name. It's, I, I I hate to say this because you don't you you should never hire off name. But this is New York. Mm-hmm. They are trying to do something big. They have to sort of break with that whole isaiah uh and mike d'antoni era they have to do something new they have to restart everything and especially to make the christophs porzingis era become well maintain it actually and build on it yeah just rehashing old guys who really never did anything Mm -hmm. that's not the answer man yeah they need frank vogel they sure as hell need frank vogel yeah they they need something or maybe even go after a college coach who is clever as hell. Yeah. Yeah. I, I they just need to do something different. And the fact that they are rehashing these old names, I even think Mark Jackson yeah. is also on the interview list. Again, like oh, come on. I mean and that's just not the Knicks. It's every team. Right. Rehashing old coaches, like you, you just know after George Carl, oh, someone God. is someone is gonna hire George Carl oh, at some my point. God. For sure. And it makes no point. No point anymore. Yeah. And the Knicks are one of those teams. Yeah. They need to wake the hell up. Yeah, they really do. I th- I mean, Vogel, if if Indiana lets go of Vogel and the Knicks don't just park a dump truck full of money in front of his house, they they deserve every bad thing that happens to them over the next couple of years. Because Five years, $50 million. Yeah. That's what I would do. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Tibbs got $8 million a year, right? In Minnesota, I, I actually, I think he got, I think he got ten. I'm not really sure. Oh, but did? yeah, okay, eight, eight or ten million a year, and he, and he even has the team president title. Yeah, I would, I would give Frank ten million just to be a head coach in New York. Yeah, right, exactly. I think, yeah, you absolutely, you're one of the most profitable franchises in the entire league. You know, you can only spend so much on the salary cap, and it's not like. Free agents are necessarily clamoring to come to New York right now. No. Especially until Carmelo says, look, I am firmly here. I am bought in. You know, the triangle is not necessarily a free agent lure right now. So, yeah, I'm with you. Frank Vogel all the way. 
50 millions and a James Dolan CD. Because <laughs> everyone's getting those. A signed you know? CD. If, yeah. At this, you know, this is kind of curious because, you know, this is James Dolan really likes handing out his to CDs, right? Right. And it's it's pretty awkward, I could imagine, getting that CD like, um, um, thank you. <laughs> yeah, But right. at what point? Because he's done it with every single hire. Like, if I'm getting hired by the Knicks and I don't get a CD, should I take that personally now? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, to- I, I don't want the CD, but I kind of want the CD. Right, it's just, yeah. it's just an additional perk that you expect. Yeah. So that's your signing bonus. <laughs> that, that, yeah, I mean, come on, the Dolans, right? Whew. Yeah, yeah, all uh, right. Well, I'm glad to hear we're in, in agreement with this Rambus thing because it just it, it continues to baffle me. And uh, speaking of things that were baffling, this is where I really wish uh, Sarah was here right now because, my God, what the hell happened in the last 15 seconds of Spurs Thunder? About 16 things. Yeah, it was, I, I've, I mean, even the referees, even Charles Barkley after the game, even Chris Webber, all of them have said they've never seen a series of events quite like that. So I will do my best to describe what happened. But it won't do it justice. Please just look it up on YouTube if you haven't seen it already. Yeah. Dion yeah. Waiters is inbounding a pass. He elbows Manu Ginobili. So that's a foul right there. And the rest Oh, have... wait, wait. Manu stepped on the line first. Oh, that's true. Okay, so see? There we go. Manu steps on the line. <laughs> Dion elbows him. Dion jumps, which is also illegal. Throws it to Kevin Durant. Danny Green tips it to a teammate. The Spurs suddenly have a three-on-one fast break. It looks like they're about to take the lead with like 10 seconds left. They're down 98-97. Steven Adams saves the day, kind of gets in the way, makes the Spurs recalibrate their offense. Uh, They kick it out to the corner. The Spurs miss a shot. Steven Adams contested that. As Steven Adams is recovering from the contest, a fan in the crowd grabs his arm with about two seconds left, and is physically restraining him from chasing the rebound. Uh, and it looked like, had the Thunder lost that game, there was about to be another malice in the palace, if you saw oh, yeah. the look on Steven Adams' face. Um, the Spurs couldn't... There was basically a scrum under the basket for the ball, and never got the ball back in time uh, before the final buzzer sounded. So the Thunder won 98-97. It's 1-1 heading back to OKC. Uh, Morton, I think you had the Spurs in six. Is that right? Yeah. 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 I you, five you, or six. Are yeah. you still feeling good about that prediction? No, I'm not. I thought really? they would come through right there. I mean, okay, you know they they found their game. Mm-hmm. They they were they were down early. They started finding their pieces. Lamarcus got hot, but at one point, I'm asking myself: Lamarcus Aldridge has scored 79 points in two games this series. Yeah. If that is necessary for him to produce that kind of points, then I'm concerned. Hmm, If it isn't, then okay, that becomes a different story. But the very fact that they lost this way and they never really were able to get the upper hand, that has me concerned, especially on home court. Uh, OKC is dangerous. Mm -hmm. I will go that far. But they are still an isolation-heavy basketball team, so anything can happen in OKC. I'm not sure. That one loss really 
started to make to make me ask questions. I mean, I like my prediction initially, and I I still think that it can go home. Mm-hmm. But the, I didn't anticipate San Antonio losing a home game. I just didn't think it would happen. Yeah, they lost one home game all, all year. season. So yeah, I mean that that did swing things. Uh, you know, actually, I'm I'm kind of gonna go the opposite route. I had Spurs in seven originally. And I'm seeing how that unfolded. I am more confident in the Spurs. I would actually go Spurs in six now. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I just okay, think that's interesting. OKC's late game offense is so painful. It is so yeah. freaking painful. And they had a four point lead with about 15, 16 seconds left, I think. Uh, Aldridge comes down and hits a three. In the last minute, he got fouled on a three, hit all three free throws. I, I agree that this. 35 plus points a night from Aldridge is probably not sustainable. Um, but my God, like they, OKC just finds new ways to lose games. And it really seems like, can you imagine the bedlam if they, if the Spurs had actually scored there and then we have all yeah. of these fouls that happened and like, Oh my gosh, it, it, would, <laughs> would they have to replay the last minute of that game? Like I, I just, it, I mean, I personally, yeah. I don't see Kawhi Leonard. He was seven of eighteen last night. I don't. Jesse, the editor of chief of BballBreakdown dot com, after last night's game, said he thinks it's the worst stat line Kawhi's going to have all series, and I tend to agree. He totally yeah. annihilated. He missed bunnies. Yeah, and he annihilated the Thunder in game one. It was. Yeah. Tim Duncan. He's the one I'm a little worried about because he's just not getting his offense going. No. But but Danny Green. No. You know, he hit a couple of threes last night. Like he's he's still a little bit cold, but it seems like he's heating up and he actually did pretty well in game one. So Oh, Danny's cooking. Yeah. He's got he's like eight of fourteen, I believe, from the from downtown this series. Okay. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, that's true. Cause he, he I think he was five of six in the first game, so he was three of eight last night. That sounds right. I mean, we said it before the series. OKC's lack of a 3 and D2 guard is really killer here. So, you know, KD and Westbrook combined for 57. Abaka and Adams and Cantor had 36. Robertson, Morrow, and Waiters combined for 5 in 64 <laughs> yeah. minutes. Like, I just think you need a little bit more help from those guys. Cameron Payne was 0 of 3 in 7 minutes. You know, I you can pummel the Spurs with your bigs and you can hope KD and Westbrook go off and that, you know, all of those things are probably sustainable, but it just feels like OKC really needed the rabbit pulled out of the hat to win that game last night. I just don't trust that it's going to happen again like that. I, I think I have a feeling they split the two in OKC, go back to San Antonio tied two two. Spurs take game five and then, go out and close it in OKC in, in game six. But my original prediction was seven. So if I'm wrong about that, let it be known that I originally said seven games. <laughs> I'm just kind of nervous looking at San Antonio's point guards. I yeah. mean, Tony Parker and Patrick Mills have combined for 8.5 points a game. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Tony is shooting 33%. Patty is shooting 23%. Those are not good percentages, and if they can't get involved, it's going to be problematic because you just can't rely on LaMarcus and Kawhi to the extent that they have. 
especially when Tim Duncan has become limited. Like, right now, Manu, Manu Ginobili is playing 17 minutes a game, mm-hmm. and it seems like that's the most he can muster because he is handling the ball, he's passing, he's shooting, he's he's doing whatever he can out there. But having a 38-year-old going balls to the wall for only 17 minutes a game when he's such a viable component, that's also troublesome. I want to keep him in there in 20, 25 minutes. And to do that, you need other guys stepping up so you can kind of take the pressure off of him a little bit. Yeah. Um, I am hoping Danny Green keeps his current shooting stroke going. Me too. Me too. He had such a bad season. So I, I really, yeah. I mean, I we said it, I think, even before the playoffs started that he was going to be the key if San Antonio is going to move past not even just the Thunder, but the Warriors. Like, he needs to hit shots. He's been, he's been over 40% from three in their two playoff runs where they've made it to the finals. Mm. You know, he's, he is their X factor. You know, you, you know what you're getting from Kawhi. Apparently, you know, Aldridge is just going to go off and that's going to help, uh, make up for the declining production of Tony and Tim. But yeah, you need that third option. And Danny, it's, it's, it's good to see him get going. I know Sarah is cheering him on from afar right now. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I think, when is game three? Not till Thursday, I want to say, or maybe even Friday. Oh yeah, Fr- yeah. Friday. It looks Friday. Like. Yeah. Friday. There we go. Yeah. So the the Spurs will have a couple days to uh, recover from whatever the hell just happened last night and get their yeah. bearings straight. But hopefully, the series. I mean, the first two games have been excellent. So let's hope. Let's hope it's oh, by good. far the most interesting series in the playoffs so far. Yeah, by far, it's not even close. And let's let's just take a minute. I mean, Lamarcus Aldridge. Yeah, yeah, thirty nine and a half points a game. Yeah, I, he's shooting seventy five percent from the field. He's hit two threes without hitting anyone this year uh, yeah. in the regular season. Yeah. He's perfect from the line, eleven of eleven, and the shots that he's made have been wildly contested, yeah. at least some of them, close to the rim. Serge Ibaka has been guarding him like a dog. Right. And he's still been able to finish over him consequently. Yeah. He's been hitting the open J, been creating opportunities for himself around the rim, drawing fouls. Like, he has done everything. He's my crush for this week, right? Good call. And it's, it's, it's like not even close. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a really good call. He's been, we gave him uh, not nearly enough attention as we previewed this over the weekend. I think we mm-hmm. we considered him somewhat of an afterthought. Figured he get twenty and eight a game just like he usually does. But he felt it. He's sending us a message right yeah. now. He's saying, yeah. "Screw you guys." Yeah, I'm a I'm a feature player. I, I <laughs> I'm I'm the twenty million dollar a year player. I was brought here. I was the number one free agent target. I'm going to show you what the hell I'm capable of. That's true. Sorry, LaMarcus. Our bad. We gave you... We're making up for it this time. Yeah. Uh, Well, I think that's going to do it for us today. So thank you, listeners, again. This is episode five of the NBA podcast presented by B-Ball Breakdown. Please check out bballbreakdown.com for all of your playoff coverage. We've got recaps for every game. Had a couple series previews. Morton, as always, it's a pleasure. Oh, likewise, Bri. All right, take care. Same. Welcome to Total Wine and More. It's much more than a wine store. It's the eighth wonder of the world. When people talk about Total Wine and More, they get a little carried away. We're just a big, friendly place run by people with a passion for wine and beer. 
See, we travel the world to find the best wines from the best regions, and we sell them at the lowest prices anywhere. And friendly, helpful experts at every turn. You know what? Maybe we are the eighth wonder of the world. Shop in store or online at TotalWine.com. Easter is coming up, and I just can't wait to have the whole family in one place. And of course, what's Easter without an awesome Easter brunch? Now, I don't know about your family, but mine is a little picky, and I really wanted to impress them with something delicious. A friend told me I should check out Total Wine & More. It was crazy. They must have every wine and beer imaginable. I told one of their friendly experts my situation, and they found me just the thing. This sparkling wine is going to be absolutely perfect for brunch, even with my picky family. I know next time I need something, I'm shopping at Total Wine & more. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kids-sized prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-sized prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance.